there it is, apologies. Um, and so just so you guys know, we're going to be on listen-only mode, so um, we can't hear you, but you can hear us. And if you have any questions, um, you can just um, raise your hand at any time or ask questions in the menu bar, and we'll be the only ones who are able to see that. Okay. Okay, and so today we're going to be um, learning a little bit more about Maxine, hearing about her startup story, um, figuring out some of the challenges that retailers and brands are facing today, um, listening about the future of fashion, hearing some tips from Maxine, and we'll have a little bit of time at the end for some Q&A. By the way, uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. Um, it's going to be sort of in a podcast kind of style. Um, so we're going to have this conversation, and you can follow our conversation on Twitter as well with the hashtag do good business. Okay, so uh, without further ado, Maxine, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm a woman who loves city bike, apparently <laughs> from the photo. Uh, I do like city bike. Um, so hi, everyone. Um, I'm Maxine Beda. Um, thanks for the introduction, Nicole. Uh, so I guess first off, um, given this audience, I should admit that I did not start my career in the fashion space. Um, I came from a different, a very different space, but um, uh, soon realized that um, those worlds very much um, very much connect. So I started off actually um, after um, college, um, going to work at the United Nations. Um, I wanted to think about issues of world development and um, what we might do to kind of solve some of the world's biggest problems. Um, and it was really through um, through thinking through that lens um, that I found myself um, looking and investigating uh, more and more in the fashion space. Um, because whether you're thinking about um, food security or you're thinking about um, human development uh, and how we can kind of lift the world's uh, people out of poverty or you're thinking about climate change or the environment, um, actually, it turns out that all of those issues are really intimately linked with the fashion industry. Uh, and so I got started, actually, uh, started up a, a nonprofit organization. It was while I was working as a lawyer. Um, yeah, I guess I didn't say I went to law school in that, but uh, <laughs> I went to minor blood. <laughs> well, Columbia's on there once, so I went back to school, um, to law school. Uh, um, and then, yeah, I guess I, it was like, Barnard, UN, Columbia, UN, so they're, that's why it's all truncated, makes sense, um, back and forth, ping-ponging, um, but it was while I was working um, as a lawyer in um, Tanzania in Africa that I started up a nonprofit organization working with artisans throughout the developing world, uh, and then um, that kind of was the foray into starting Zadie, which is really about um, having a fashion brand um, and, a, and a retail company that really um, digs into how a product is made and um, hopefully does it in a way that is um, as romantic and beautiful um, as the clothing uh, itself. And so that is, that's my journey. <laughs> Very impressive resume you have. <laughs> so yeah, I guess we can move on um, to the startup story. You touched on this a little bit, but I'm sure um, our listeners would love to hear a little bit more about um, you know, why did you start Zadie and also how is Zadie different than its competitors? Sure. 
So I guess um, because I always found this mysterious um, in this startup world or fashion world or um, is that I, it's not that I started Zadie because like, I always wanted to do something on my own or I always wanted to start a company or run a company. Um, I first started the Bootstrap Project and then um, started Zadie because it was something that I wanted to see exist in the world. Um, and actually, to the contrary, I think I, um, at least at the um, at, at the get-go, I didn't think that I was qualified. Um, but I, you know, I, I kind of jumped into it because I really, like, I thought that this needed to exist. Um, and I had to get over my uh, fears and anxieties, um, you know, of being shy or whatever, and just uh, make it all happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was why I, I um, started Zadie. And then how is Zadie different than its competitors? I think um, it depends on what competitors we're talking about. So uh, how it's different from a traditional fashion company is that we really are um, just as much as we focus on the design um, we are focused on meeting the farmers and ranchers and wash houses and dye houses and spinners and um, knitters and cutters and sewers um, throughout the supply chain to really um, re-envision what the future of fashion is going to look like. Um, and for us, that means something that is going to be there in the long term. Um, and that's just what sustainability is all about. Um, thanks. So that's how we're kind of different from a fashion brand and then how we're different from kind of a traditional, I guess, sustainability company is that we don't ever actually use the word sustainable in, in anything mm-hmm. that we do. Um, why it, is that? Why? Yeah. Um, because um, there is, when it, what we have found is when people tend to start a company because they're focused on the sustainability, the design tends to be secondary. Right. Um, and for us, it, they, are, they are interlinked. And um, for us, it's what luxury, where luxury came from was that it was um, a sign of a beautiful product that w- was made with beautiful materials from a from a maker. Mm-hmm. Um, started, I think, like in for horses, and when cities became large, and so industry kind of became large, and so you didn't necessarily know your shoemaker anymore, but they they gave a logo mark so that you knew that this was something of quality. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's what we're going back to is like what what does that mark mean? Um, and what is luxury at the end of the day? Um, and so that's why we don't use the word sustainable because I think also it's, especially in the fashion space, um, well, A, it doesn't mean much anymore. People don't really know what that means and we don't even kind of know what that means. It should be kind of about facts and what it's, what's happening on the ground. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, when at least when I think about sustainable clothing and I don't think of something like I'm dying to wear <laughs> um, and that's the like the clothing that um, we're um, sourcing and we're making hopefully you know that's um, I'm dying to wear it and so um, uh, that's you know the kind of connotation and the brand that we're building around it. So what is if sustainable isn't in your like ethos what is your mission statement overall that you guys kind of abide by or so circle back. Sustainability to. is definitely in the ethos. The word sustainable um, is not, you know, written mm-hmm. in any kind of branding or anything that we do, just because it's so kind of far removed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's for us, 
the definition of what sustainability is, is systems that are going to exist in the long term. Um, and so we fundamentally believe um, that, you know, if you are not paying people fairly and they can't go home and have a place to live or eat or feed their children, um, you're not going to have a sustainable company. Maybe it can be great for this quarter, but it's going to be hard for the years to come. Yeah. Um, and so everything that we do, the ethos of the company is about sustainability and what what clothing system can we create that allows for beautiful product um, and something that isn't going to have a negative impact on um, the people um, and the planet. So mm -hmm. we only got well, one planet um, so far that we can inhabit. Um, so that's that's very much fundamental to what we are, even though we don't say the word. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, so I guess moving on, um, I think we'd like to know a little bit about what your day-to-day -day life is like. I'm <laughs> sure you're extremely busy, um, but is there anything that you do every day or is every day completely different? Uh, I wake up and I get dressed. Okay, well, that's, a, that's a good start. <laughs> uh, and I think that's what's cool about the fashion space is that's the one universal thing that every single person on this planet does every single day is we all wake up and we all get dressed. Um, and that's kind of what we choose as armor to protect ourselves um, or what we choose to kind of show off to the world and as what we are is through our clothing. Um, but my, in terms of my day-to-day -day life, after I wake up um, and shower and get dressed, um, no, no two days are ever like, and I feel like that's such a trope that is said in the startup world, but it's, it's very much true. I mean, I was just with a group of um, business school students who were touring around um, New York then getting stuck in this rain, which was pleasant. <laughs> um, but what I have so much fun um, with, with Zadie and um, the position there is that I get to be involved with so many different things and different aspects um, of my brain and um, whether it's one day working on a photo shoot or um, another day working with our designer on what's coming up next to another moment in the day, um, working with our um, sourcing team and really seeing, you know, how we're going to be able to execute on these designs um, to other things that I find equally as interesting, um, kind of the operations of the company and, uh, you know, what boxes are we going to choose um, that have a low environmental footprint but arrive and look beautiful when you receive the package. Um, all of those things are different elements of the company that I might um, be working on or having the benefit of speaking to you. It's <laughs> also part of my day. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite part? I mean, what keeps you going, waking up? You know, just like what's the startup grind that you really find passion in? Uh, I guess a couple of things. Um, one is that we're on this mission and it really is to change how this $2 trillion industry um, is operating. And that gets me so excited to, to work on every single day. Um, and then the team that I get to work with and interact with. Um, is very motivating and fun and just like a great group of people and also that I get to I have the benefit of being able to meet such amazing interesting fascinating people throughout my day and days um, and I find that to be really exciting so yeah all of that is very motivating <laughs> and so how many people work for Zadie right now um, well it's 
feels like it's um, always changing from one day to the next. Um, mm -hmm. That's a good thing. I think um, we're at um, about 15 people. Um, and then there's tons of people that are, you know, I feel we're working as closely with the farmers and the knitters in California. Um, so it's 15 people kind of in the office and then a whole network of people that are working on Zadie product as well. Amazing. I can see how there's never a dull moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Um, so Zadie started off as a retailer and I'd like to know sort of what are some of the biggest challenges that a retailer can face? Yeah, I think it's an interesting environment, you know, with the, the Amazons of the world or, or any kind of major um, company that can aggregate a whole lot of product. Um, and for us, whether it is, you know, the challenge of working, to me, I see being a retailer is really are successful and you have to be a brand because it's really removing your experience from a commodity experience, which is what you can get on Amazon. And it's kind of the most efficient way to do that mm -hmm. um, to your powers to curate or your powers to tell a story or your powers, um, your ability to design and create um, something that's really uh, magnificent. So um, I think there are challenges for um, companies that, you know, don't see themselves as something somewhat apart from what you could already get out there. Right. Um, but also a really exciting time to be a brand because there are just so many tools that didn't exist even a couple of years ago hmm. um, to kind of t share that story um, and get people engaged and know about your company and your brand. Hmm. Very cool. Um, and so you obviously have um, your own in-house line now. And I saw there's an article that said, you know, there was like a 1,000 person wait list for the sweater. <laughs> so what are some of the challenges that you faced as your own brand too? Um, well, having product in stock, <laughs> uh, especially when, you know, you're working like down to the farm. Um, that is uh, definitely a, a big part of, of this challenge. Um, but it's a very good challenge as we define our own brand, which is kind of the singular voice of who we are, is like what and, and what is that and why is that? Um, and having, you know, we have such a strong mission in terms of what we're doing, um, but what does that mean in terms of design? What does that mean in terms of, you know, the woman that we're, creating for um, and that's like a, a very healthy challenge to always have and, and having that person in mind and making something that is really exceptional for them and that's a real added value to their lives something that makes them feel really great not just like oh I bought this shirt today yeah totally. who is your like target person that you always go back to that you're designing for so we always um, speak about um, the modern woman and that is a woman who, well, it's very much ourselves um, or kind of our aspirations, but it's the, the woman who is really trying to figure out, like, what, the, what does it mean to have it all in a generation that we know there's no such thing? Um, and I think kind of how that differentiates from even the generation preceding us is like there was this myth that you could have it all. I think now 
people aren't thinking that that's that's a thing. But how do I how do I balance you know being great at my career but being a great daughter or a great mom or a great sister or a great friend um, and like where am I going to the gym in that or not or uh, <laughs> what that, am I wearing? And what am I going to oh wear? Um, and so I think you know that's that's the type of like I'm very inspired by um, that you know the women's challenge in in trying to do all of that and trying to figure it all out and trying to have confidence within that. But um, and so that's who we're who we're designing for and who we're creating for. Um, uh, and that's why, you know, our clothing is also really flexible in that way too. We're always thinking about, okay, well, maybe she's like at a board meeting, but she's going to go out for drinks with friends. Like what can, Mm -hmm. what can she wear that can bridge both of those worlds and still make her feel really confident in the board meeting, but then not like a robot when she's with her friends. Um, and so that like, those are the clothing that we're creating and everything is kind of um, relaxed and easy to wear and that it's just like, oh, maybe she's just changing a shoe and throwing on a lipstick and like calling it a day and making it kind of easy luxury as opposed to something you can try. What um, is your biggest like design learning that you've had since creating your own brand? Mm. I think the, the biggest learning is to just like make every single piece special because if 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 somebody can get it you know at a place that's cheaper and it is some kind of then it becomes a commodity again people won't you know they will love the fact that um they're doing the right thing by buying Zadie but they're not gonna kind of if there's a cheaper alternative for something else then they won't make that purchase so it really is the challenge to only create um, things that are like truly very special. That's kind of big learning. Cool. And then I think just another thing, because I think this would be a great challenge, is how do you determine which farms and you know, like where you're going to source everything, and what kind of material is the most important to use? Like, what is the best? You know, do you want to use polyester at some times or is it like straight up linen and cotton, (laughs) you know? um. Yeah, this I think is the most challenging thing for the industry because there isn't a like we went and developed um, what we call the new standard because when we tried, you know, first we carried third party um, and then we realized like when we kind of uncovered all of these issues in the in the fashion space that no one was really kind of figuring it out down to the farm, which is where a lot of the issues actually arise from. Um, And so then kind of our next thing was like, okay, well, we'll just develop product and we'll search like the lead, you know, like lead certified factories. Yeah. Like, oh, well, that actually doesn't exist. Like there isn't a thing. Yeah. So then we had to take a step back and say like, okay, what does it even mean to do something sustainably in fashion? Because I think it's been used as a marketing tool for a while and but there has been less work involved in like starting it just from like a policy standpoint and so we took a year and it's all on our site um zady.com slash the new standard um and we piece together like what does it mean what would a system that's sustainable look like and it starts with how you design clothes um what 
what raw materials you are choosing. And to answer your question, we do use um, only natural materials. So something that you could bury in the ground and it, um, you know, would disappear. Right. Um, unlike polyester, which takes like 600 years actually oh my to God. decompose. Oh my God. Um, wow. And now polyester is the number one fiber used in clothing. Um, it's more than cotton these days. Um, it's just kind of shocking, especially when you consider that on average people wear their clothing only seven times before they throw it out. Um, so that's like a lot of accumulation. Yeah. How do you even calculate 600 years? <laughs> uh, it wasn't me. It was time. I, I did not, um, yeah, um, go time travel. Um, that um, was research that we dug into. And so then, you know, then we said, okay, well, it, well, natural fibers is like kind of the first step, but then you can get into cotton and there are a lot of issues with uh, water use and very many issues with pesticide use. Mm, Actually, cotton right. is one of like the, um, the um, crops that use the most um, um, uh, synthetic materials in which to grow. So, um, then we're like, okay, well, then it's only organic because it actually has a really positive impact on the, the water use um, as well. Um, and and kind of on and on. And that's sort of how we, we design for timelessness. We use natural materials. Um, and then we, like, do a lot of research into just finding what are the farms, what are the wash houses that have safe water practices um, and the, the dye houses that we can – um, feel confident that they're using um, non-toxic dyes as well and then that they have a water treatment facility mm -hmm. so that those things called effluents like the stuff after you dye things are not just going back into the local water um, because the apparel industry is the second greatest polluter of fresh water globally um, and that's like again going back to the work at the UN that's actually one of the major issues in um, global development is people not having access to fresh water right. so um, it's kind of from design to the entire production process, making sure that it's like clean. Hmm. Cool. Actually, this is a nice segue to the next slide that we have, which is the future of fashion. Ooh. Yeah. So as these bigger labels and giant retailers expand and adapt, and um, some of them are, you know, uh, adapting these like sustainability practices, how can a smaller company um, stay relevant amid all of this sort of noise and all these promotions? Um, well, I think um, the first is to not be derivative. Like mm -hmm. that's one great way to, um, to, mm -hmm. to stand out. Um, and I think that as a small company now, what are, as a, as a startup fashion brand, what can be done now um, is so much more than what could be done in the past because we have things, um, you know, like Facebook and like Instagram in particular, or even Twitter. Um, there are ways to get the message out and to get your brand voice out there um, in a way that couldn't have been done before. Mm -hmm. um, and you can have video content about your process um, in a way that could never be dreamed of in, you know, in a traditional retail environment. Um, and so that's how, you know, why I think it's a really exciting time actually for um, small brands and they can stay relevant by doing something that is distinguished um, from other brands. If you're not going to do it, then kind of why are you doing it to begin with, I would ask. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think the, 
the bigger fashion companies, like they know that sustainability is kind of the, the biggest existential risk that they face. Um, and so what we find exciting is that we're not this kind of huge ship that has to turn around and kind of change the entire culture and change our entire business model. Um, we get to start from the ground up and making sure that those are, um, that's the philosophy that goes into everything that we do. So um, we're much more agile, which is a nice benefit to starting this way. And then, very cool. Shall I dive into the other ones since they're up there? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, what will the fashion businesses be like five years from now? Um, I think they're going to be um, a lot more uh, agile in terms of, um, you know, with the changing fashion schedules and all of that, finding a way mm -hmm. to create um, and display a vision um, and then um, at the same time, um, having tighter kind of production cycles so you don't make don't have to make these big guesses as to you know what part of that vision um, is going to be the most you know commercially successful um, and so I see that um, and that being more agile is actually a much more um, sustainable way of doing business uh, because you don't have all of that waste and um, product and it's great for your business because things don't go on sale quite as much right um, and how are we going to dress in the future? <laughs> so I think I think it's always funny when people talk about like fashion tech as if it's like integrating technology into the fibers. Like to me, what like the future or like fashion tech for me is um, the USDA, for example, just um, which is the Department of Agriculture, which is um, has our organic like milk and cotton standards. Um, they just partnered up with a genetics testing company um, to genetically ID the cotton fibers and the cotton bales coming in um, to make sure that they um, are coming from where they state they come from. Um, and that's, that's super cool. It's really cool. Uh, I totally geek out on that, yeah. but <laughs> as you can see. Um, but that to me is fashion technology. Um, is, you know, how we can identify and have, to use a legal term, like a chain of custody of where our materials are coming from around the world um, and who is using them are, are the mobile technology that's being used in some factories so that, like, factory workers have a voice that they never had before. Um, all of those things, I think, making, it's ultimately, like, connect, making the world smaller. Um, and I think that's going to just help us make more beautiful clothing ultimately. Um, and I think, I don't think we'll be like wearing spacesuits in the future, I think. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> <laughs> well, they'll be really beautiful, like wearable spacesuits. <laughs> and I think that's where, where, you know, I see things going is that it's um, like, it's about the consumer and what the consumer like really wants to have and wear and express herself or himself. How do you shop? Like, what do you buy into like the millennial, I mean not millennial, the like minimalism movement? Like how do you personally shop? Like what makes you a conscious consumer? Um, it's not necessarily that it's minimal, though that I think that tends to be my like clothing taste. Um, it's just that I am conscious. Like if I am buying something, um, to me the most important thing, and I think people are always intimidated like, this seems so complicated and so scary and so complex and there's so many issues to think about, which there are. 
But if you just start out with like, I'm going to buy things and only buy things that I think are beautiful. And if you start there, that totally changes the lens of how we've kind of been trained to shop because we've mm-hmm. been trained to shop like, oh, that's so cheap. I'm going to get it. Yeah. Um, but if you look at things that are beautiful and you think about how many times you'll be able to wear it because you love it so much, um, it actually – and I've, found, I've kind of gone through this transition myself um, that you see that you can afford um, – like higher quality things than you ever thought that you could because you're buying fewer of them, um, but they're better pieces or pieces that you really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how I approach um, my wardrobe. And I just think like if I totally fall in love with something, then I'm going to get it and not feel terrible about it. But mm-hmm. it also means that um, I pass by a lot more things that before I would like, Ooh, that's cheap. Like, right. yeah just because the lens has shifted. Mm, Very interesting. Mm. But it doesn't mean you have to be like minimalist per se. It's just, it's actually, it helps to help me and you like find my own voice within fashion. Yeah. What it, it kind of changes the power dynamic a little bit from the marketers like you. Mm -hmm. Like what is fashion to me? What do I want? How do I want to express myself when I walk down the street? Very true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so moving on to the nitty gritty, we have some um, questions for Maxine about do's and don'ts for companies. Um, so our first question is, what makes an effective product launch? Uh, having the having the product available. <laughs> Step number one. Easier said than done, as a matter of fact. Um, and I think that means um, I try to remind everybody on the team that like expect everything to go wrong right. um, <laughs> because something will go wrong. And if you anticipate it, then um, like it can help ameliorate issues before they even um, would have an impact on the business. Uh, so that's kind of one thing. Um, and that kind of goes in line with meeting deadlines is uh, we have to meet deadlines um, and then we have to check in with our partners on whether they are. Uh, and if they are not kind of not just kind of putting it under the table and waiting till like a big explosion happens, um, <laughs> figuratively speaking, um, but kind of solving issues together. And so um, and, and being kind of transparent about that with both your partners that are in the supply chain, but also your community of people who are buying your product. If something mm-hmm. is delayed, explaining why. Um, I think people are so not used to that level of treatment that um, they're sometimes positively surprised, even if it means they're not going to get the right. product when I'm just being honest. Yeah, just being honest. Um, oh, yeah. Here, that's my transparent communication with vendors and customers. Um, and, you know, for us, uh, marketing and and partnerships is it's such a stupid word in well but we do it organically um, and that means just thinking about who out there in terms of brands or in terms of aspirational like design bloggers do we look to and reference um, and since we are our own customer then we'll you know we'll seek to partner with those people um, it makes it a lot easier when you're kind of designing for yourself um, in that those partnerships are just, it's just a kind of gut check on whether it's something that 
like you as an individual likes, and then you'll know that the customers who are like you will mm -hmm. hopefully appreciate it as well. And then it doesn't feel, um, I feel that consumers these days have a very, um, are very like smart on being able to kind of sniff out what feels inauthentic. Mm, um, yeah. And so having just like being guided by your own kind of internal check on whether it feels good to you or you like it or, or not. And that goes with everything from like product mm -hmm. to marketing to all of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, does it, does it work with you? Would you appreciate it? Um, and if it does, then it's like the right fit. Yeah, that's great. Cool. I think we'll move this on to Q&A. Yeah, we have time for a couple questions. Um, oh, okay. So I see we have one question here. Um, so will brick and mortar stores disappear uh, since e-commerce is becoming so big? No, <laughs> I don't think so. I think that um, maybe the like their primary role may may change, um, but I think it's you can create one environment online, and there's so many wonderful things that you can do with video and you know all different types of mediums that you don't necessarily get in a physical store, although you could get that too. But um, to walk into a like multi-dimensional space where you can smell things and touch things and look at things and interact with people um that's an amazingly rich like brand environment um and so i i i don't see that going away i still love walking into a beautiful store that has a great like i hate using the word customer service but like a great interaction with whoever is working mm -hmm. there um i think that just adds when it's done well, it can add so yeah. much to a brand. I think that kind of ties into like the authenticity yeah. part that we were just talking about. Yeah, like definitely. whether or not you can sniff it out and you're like, hey, this is actually yeah. my cup of tea yeah. or not. Yeah. And like your ability in that environment as a brand to create something that feels um, right. Like mm -hmm. you can really do that. Like I think I loved how the row, how they had their last show was like in their like own space and they made it like they sat on the floor and like I think it's that kind of um environment that really like gives you a view of what what does that brand like re really stand for what is its mission where are they and um mm -hmm. so I think yeah the physical space is not going away just like you'll have to be really good at it <laughs> <laughs> so is Zadie going to open up their own store uh, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> can't tell us yet. <laughs> Um, okay, another question I see is, I care about the environment and human rights, but I'm on a tight budget. Any advice on how I can make responsible choices that won't break the bank? Um, I will go to buy what you love. Mm -hmm. And um, beyond that, like turning a product inside out and learning about it from where it is made to what materials are in it to how is it constructed? like. I am like always surprised to go into like a uh, into fast fashion and sometimes not, but turning the products inside out and like seeing how they're just constructed and that there's things already falling apart and you haven't even made the purchase yet. Um, and so if you're just more conscious of things like that, um, you know, looking at the material, knowing even like what it is, um, there are, anytime I ask people like, oh, do you know what linen is? 
Um, they tend not to, to know the answer. Tablecloth. Um, <laughs> Tablecloth, that's right. Um, I've heard, is it like wool? Is it cotton? Um, like linen? Is it comes from the flax plant? Uh, and that's cool. Like, I think it's also just much more enriching when you know, like, oh, polyester. Like, what is polyester? Oh, polyester is oil. Like, did, like, that's, I'm wearing oil. Like, oh, now I understand why it doesn't breathe. It's entirely synthetic um, fiber right. um, that will never decompose. Um, and so just, I think it's really, it's not about the actual like act of purchasing itself. It's about the awareness and that like being more aware will make you a more conscious um, buyer. Right. Yeah. And I think it also, it goes back to that, that idea of like cost per wear. Mm -hmm. I'm wearing a pair of Zadie jeans right now and I've had them for three <laughs> years and you know, I wear them all the time. So um, the quality really does become apparent, you know, compared to like a pair of $5 jeans that I might buy, you know, those won't last more than a season. Yeah. So yeah, I think yeah. It, you do get your kind of bang for your buck. That's right. Yeah. Um, we have time for one more question. And I see, so um, if you are sort of having these sustainable practices, how can a company scale? Um, can a bigger company actually, you know, practice in a way that is ethical and um, sustainable? Absolutely. Um, I think there are two, there are kind of two different things packed in there. Um, it is very possible that everybody on the planet wears clothing that is sustainably made. Mm -hmm. um, and at some stage we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have to get there. Um, and uh, it's it's not about kind of one person like tinkering in their like hand woven things, although that is beautiful and has a role as well. Uh, it's very simply about um, farming practices. It's about how much product is just being consumed and thrown away every year. Um, there's enough enough clothing that's thrown out every single year to give every single man, woman, and child on the planet a new wardrobe every single year. Wow. Um, yep. Yeah. And you think about kind of how little food there is, but you could like literally or change water. or clean water, but you could, there's just so much stuff being produced that um, each person can have a brand new closet every year is kind of crazy um, just to think about. Um, and so uh, now I've totally lost track of what I was talking about. <laughs> Sustainability and scaling. Scaling, thank yeah. you. <laughs> I just got myself depressed. Um, no. Uh, so there is a way to, to scale. It's just about um, having the right practices in place. And that can be done at any scale. You can have a massive factory that does pay their workers um, a living wage. Um, and that's completely sustainable and, um, and positive. The other side of it, though, is the fast fashion model is they can say that they're using organic cotton, but it's itself not sustainable. If you're creating clothing that is designed to be worn only a few times mm -hmm. before getting rid of it so that you have to go back into the store again, you can have as much organic cotton as you want. You're still, the, the cycle is too fast. Um, right. And that's really, that's really the issue. So yes, everyone can wear sustainable clothing. Yes, that is the future. Um, but it's going to mean that these kind of fast fashion 
companies are going to really have to have an kind of existential look at what it is that is creating their business and their business model in order to truly be sustainable. And how do you guys scale? Like, how do you think about it when you scale? So when we think about it in terms of the our supply chain partners that um, that we have chosen, um, we're working with um, suppliers that can um, take the capacity as we grow as a company. Um, so, um, you know, we're not kind of moving from like mom and pop shops and then having to like transition and transition and transition. Right. Um, and so that's how we um, think about scale. And it certainly requires um, convincing um, on our part for our, for the partners in the field who certainly when we started, they're like, what? we don't know you. How do we know you're going to be around next season? Mm-hmm. Um or it's such a you know small order for us at the get-go. Like, why would we care? And so, you know, we have to explain to them what it is that we're doing and why they would want to be a part of it. But that's how we think about scale. Fascinating. Okay, so I think that's about um, all we have time for today. But thank you guys so much for joining us for this conversation, and thank you so much, Maxine, for coming in for thank this you. talk. <laughs>